Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Ramirez, host of Locked On Heat. We have a great show for you today. The Thunder Force Game 7 against the Rockets. And the Nuggets and Jazz wrap up an entertaining series tonight. Let's start with a surprising Game 1 win for the Heat, beating the Bucks 115 to 104. Miami was led by 40 points from Jimmy Butler, who closed out the game by making tough shot after tough shot. And on the other end, the Heat bothered Giannis, who was limited to 18 points on 6-for-12 shooting and committed six turnovers in the game. David, what was your takeaway from the Heat's win? For at least one game, it was pretty clear that Miami had the best player on the floor, and that was Jimmy Butler. Undebatably so, I think. Not only did we see a very bad performance from Giannis Antetokounmpo, particularly at the free throw line where he shot just 33%, 4 of 12 at the line. But overall, Jimmy was able to do everything on both ends of the floor, defensively, making plays for others, getting to the line where he converted 12 of his 13 free throw attempts and hitting every kind of shot imaginable. Two of two from beyond the arc, at the rim, getting to the line again, drawing contact, his floater game, his mid-range game, all of it was working. This was the very best version of Jimmy Butler, and for at least one night, Miami had the full impact of his of incredible level of play. So he was the all-star a lot of people expected Miami to be able to acquire this past season, and he has done everything imaginable to help Miami get a 1-0 lead for the Heat. Goran Dragic had... Pretty much kept them in the game from the first, I don't know, three quarters, I would say. Jim Butler had a great game throughout, but it was really the fourth quarter where he stepped up. He was the closer. He was. This is what they needed, right, David? I mean, this is why you they, they so often went to Josh Richardson the last couple of years in these sort of moments because they didn't really have anybody else. And when it was clear that Josh Richardson just wasn't going to be that guy, they trade him in that signing trade for Jimmy Butler. And now Butler is the closer. He's the guy. And it is we see this every year in the playoffs that if you have this ability – to create your own shot, shoot off the dribble, make contested um, jumpers, and do these things. In the playoffs, those things are so much more important. Look no further than what Kawhi Leonard was able to do to this Bucks team in the playoffs last yeah, year, yeah. right? And when we saw Kawhi have to co- routinely close out games in the fourth quarter, and, and Giannis and the Bucks fell short last year, and if they can't get it together in this series, they're going to fall short. If they don't play better... They're going to fall short again. Milwaukee led for most of the game. But I thought Miami played better, actually, for most of the game. Uh, I think Milwaukee made a ton of shots. They were shooting about 60% through the first half. They made how many threes in this game? I think they made uh, 16 three-pointers to just 12 for Miami. Uh, and, and the turnovers, they got a lot of headlines, I think, by the commentators in this game. They had 19 turnovers. Miami had 16 turnovers, but they were just converting off of Milwaukee's so much better than Milwaukee was taking advantage of Miami's. So again, I think the Heat just played better. At the end, like you said, they had the better player on the floor. You could argue that the two best players on the floor, or the three best players on the floor, honestly, between Jimmy Butler, Goran mm-hmm. Dragic, and what Bam Adebayo was able to do. Maybe you throw Chris Middleton into that mix, but um, you know, I, we, you and I had this conversation going into this that it was going to be a pretty even series. I think, you know, Giannis is going to play better, right? But this is, I, I do think that this is going to be a close series. This is going to be a really fun series. I, I was debating this earlier, and I'm not sure that this was a, a game where you get any kind of significant takeaways from the Milwaukee side of things. I don't know that they can make any sort of adjustments. I, I know that Mike Budenholzer has long been criticized for his inability to make in-series adjustments, and we both agree that Eric Spolstra has shown that throughout the course of his career. But what is it that Budenholzer can possibly do 
to tweak things a little bit that would make things easier. Well, for the me. obvious one is you just you play you play Giannis more. Thirty-seven the minutes. Plays Thirty-seven I mean, that's, minutes. I mean, it's not that's more than he normally does. I mean, he. It's more than he normally does, but there, you, you could you could get that up to 40, 42 minutes per game. I mean, they were just. I mean, look, Giannis was minus fourteen in the game, but it was clear that like they were best when he was on the floor. I, it was interesting to me that Budenholzer, for most of the game, basically staggered Giannis and Brook Lopez, and every time Giannis was in there, he was playing the yeah. five. And I I don't know if that was the right move. They were obviously trying to spread Miami out. Um, I w- but it also allowed Miami to just play Kelly Olynyk for only eight minutes in the game, and they were able to go to really their their three point shooters and their better players for much more of the game. I think Boonholzer probably coached one of the worst games of of that I've ever seen him coach. I thought Eric Spolster coached a masterful game. I mean, like I said, everything was going in for the Bucks, especially in that first quarter. They scored forty points in the first quarter, and, and it looked like they were going to be unstoppable, right? And, and the Heat just kept grinding away. They knew that they weren't that, that the Bucks weren't going to continue making shots. And Eric Spolstra, he made a couple of adjustments. He kept, but but I thought one of the important things that he didn't do was was change the way he guarded Giannis. He had Jay Crowder on Giannis the whole time, and Crowder did a great job. Yeah, him. he was able to stay with him, um, you know, to challenge Adetokounmpo and force him into the the quote unquote wall that Miami is so effective at, at building because they have multiple versatile defenders that can help and, and sag off their own primary assignments and and that's the primary reason why Chris Middleton was able to convert four of his eight three point attempts. I mean he did finish with twenty eight points. But that's my overall point is that you get incredible performances from Middleton and Lopez who finished with 24 points of his own I think you get some key contributions from guys like Kyle Korver that had not been there earlier in the bubble and I'm just not sure if there's another player on their bench who's going to step up Uh, Pat Connaughton hasn't had a good series uh, I mean a a good playoffs at all or even I I don't think he's really stepped up at all in the Orlando bubble Dante DiVincenzo has been kind of struggling since entering Orlando as well so my point is you know, Adetokounmpo misses eight of his free throw attempts. Maybe he'll hit a couple more of those. Maybe he'll be a little bit more active as far as – or aggressive, rather, in looking for his shot. But otherwise, I mean, Miami's defensive scheme is very, very good at limiting those shot opportunities for Adetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be forced into becoming more of an active playmaker. And then that's where you lead to those kind of turnovers that Adetokounmpo was was forcing because he was just making those passes to players out on the perimeter because it was walled off. The rim was – he was not prevented – or he was prevented from getting to the rim and getting the shots and easy looks that he normally does. So I'm not sure what else there is. Maybe they can do more pick and roll with Adetokounmpo, maybe get Middleton kind of screening for him a little bit. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I surprised they didn't. Do, they did that a little bit in the fourth quarter. They didn't really go to it that often. I actually think that they should find a way to get their main three guys on the court together more and not stagger Lopez and Antetokounmpo as, as much as they did. Look, and we should mention they didn't have Eric Bledsoe in this game, and that and I think Bucks fans are going to make a bigger deal out of that than they probably should. I don't know that Bledsoe helps them defensively on Dragic. This game was. Defensively on Dragic, maybe, right? Like, I guess Dragic, instead of scoring 27 points, he maybe scores a little bit fewer. But that ball would have found its way somewhere else. I mean, by the end of that game, Miami's offense was working. It was getting the ball. They were getting the ball where they needed to get it to. They probably would have just forced Bam Adebayo a little bit more, who, who only took 12 shots in the game. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know that he adds the level of playmaking that they probably did. And this is an issue just structurally with Milwaukee is that 
they, their guards aren't great playmakers. Like, Bledsoe and George Hill are very good on-ball defenders, but they're not very good playmakers. And so you end up relying on Giannis, who, when you crowd his dribble and you build that wall the way that Miami did, he has problems with it. And this is why, and this is not a one-off. You know, like, Miami is the only team this year to beat them twice, right? Like, they have success against this team. Chris Milton is also not a great playmaker. Like, if Giannis can't get it going, if he's turning the ball over six times— they're going to have a lot of problems, and Miami has so many bodies that they could throw at him. You mentioned that they don't, the Boonholzer might not have many adjustments he can make other than maybe just playing Giannis more minutes, but it still seems like Miami has a lot more things that they can do because they're so deep and so Yeah, much. that's a good point. I mean, we saw some minutes from Kendrick Nunn when the uh, Miami offense was a little bogged down and they needed a boost to their scoring. He didn't really provide that, although he did chip in six points. And they did, they got a couple of lackluster performances from key players like Duncan Robinson, who's been so effective for most of the bubble. Uh, he, he only shot one of four. So if you get a good game for River Robinson, I mean, look, he he's going to bounce back at some point. Although Wes Matthews, I think, did a really good job of staying with him and trying to limit what he does. Chris Middleton also defended him to some degree. So, uh, you know, if Robinson continues to knock down shots with a kind of – you know, as frequently as he has in Orlando and throughout the course of the regular season, then that's going to have more gravity. Uh, you know, more defenders are going to have to force or be forced onto him and to watch him as he constantly goes off of these screens and multiple screen actions. And then that frees things up for, for Dragic or Adebayo or even Butler to get to the rim a little bit more easily. So uh, there's, I don't know, Miami, you might be right in that Miami certainly has another level they can reach, um, but I, I'm not so sure I see the same thing from Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, Giannis is going to bounce back. We know that. This is going to be a close series. Um, I'm not, it, but it's going to be a lot closer than a typical five seed versus one seed is going to be. Hey, before we wrap up, can I just say I am thoroughly enjoying Stan Van Gundy as the color commentator. He is so good. Like, yes. this is, he's already, he's been doing this for what, like five games now? It's like barely anything. And it's a little bit more than that. But he's already, to me, the best color analyst in the game yeah right he, he's done a phenomenal job i mean you have to put him uh, alongside doris burke too but uh both of them very very good That's i right. mean stan shedding a lot of insight there on, on a number of different things and, and strategy and and the way the coaching and and players to some degree even you know how they approach specific key moments in games and things of that sort it's been really really great and insightful although i will say I, I was a little concerned at, at, every time he mentioned defensive intensity ratcheting up in the second half. I thought he was getting increasingly more excited. He sounded like he was going to have a heart attack any second. He enjoyed very much talking about the wall in front of Giannis. I thought I was a little concerned that he was going to drop an F-bomb, but uh, he didn't, and he's been good. Coming up, the Thunder Force at Game 7 against the Rockets. But first, David, tell them about Rock well, Auto. Well, I mean, rockauto.com, what more can you say about it? From everything that we've told you over the last couple of months, if you haven't gone there, you're doing yourself a disservice because it's such a great website, so easy to use. It's a family-owned business that's been in service for 20 years. A website that allows you to find the parts that you're looking for for your car and truck. Very easy to use. It's an incredible interface. You just enter your car, make, and model. You find the parts. You find the right price that you're willing to pay. You have it shipped to you directly. I used it. It's so great. Saved me hundreds of dollars. I am not a particularly handy person when it comes to fixing cars, but my wife had a, a bashed-in taillight. Found it on rockauto.com. Got it sent within a couple of days. Again, saved hundreds of dollars. Didn't have to take it to an auto body shop. And I know that's a problem for a lot of people is you go to a body parts store and you're not quite sure what to look for you, you always get the feeling that you're going to get screwed over or something like that that's not the sensation that you get when you go to rockauto.com very convenient again a family-owned business you look for the right 
uh, parts that you're looking for and you get the right price that you're willing to pay. So go to rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and you find the how did you hear about a section. It's a little box on their website, and you write locked on so they, they know we sent you. It's amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's rockauto.com. The Thunder forced a Game 7 against the Rockets with a 104-100 win behind Chris Paul's masterful 28-point performance. That included 8 points and 2 steals, David, in the final 5 minutes. This was a close game, but Chris Paul stepped up and the Thunder forced the ball out of James Harden's hands and into Russell Westbrook's hands. And he struggled, unlike Chris Paul, in the final minutes. Several turnovers. He airballed a jumper. He just wasn't looking right at all. Now, the Thunder have a chance to upset the Rockets in the first round in this Game 7 Wednesday night. There was a lot going on in the final minutes. But do you blame the Rockets or credit the Thunder more for the result? I, <laughs> I, I know it's kind of easy to say that the Rockets blew it. And they certainly made a lot of mistakes that they probably should not have and it cost them a game. But I, I really do think Paul did such a fantastic job of doing everything. I mean, maybe we have taken him for granted over the course of his career because he has not reached that next level and he hasn't won the championship, etc. But he is such a great Hall of Fame level player and he does everything so well and so smart and he showed it during those last couple of minutes. It was clear that for a player who gets criticized so much for his antics and his behavior and everything else that he just he really wanted to win and he wanted to keep this series alive at least for another game and he was just I mean so intense so so understood exactly where to be to make the right play to hit the right shot he did everything possible to salvage the game and to carry again Oklahoma City Thunder's season for another 48 minutes and it was just impressive to see so I have to give credit to the Thunder and Chris Paul because they just did a really, really good job of, of preserving something. Look, they were down by a lot there. I thought it was, Houston was going to run away with it. I thought it was pretty clear that the Thunder season was over, and then somehow they managed to bounce back. They got some key contributions from Lou Dort and others, and they, just, they look really, really solid, uh, at least for the last quarter of the game. Uh, Chris Paul was amazing. He was vintage Chris Paul, and, and you know, I, even, I hesitate to even say vintage Chris Paul because that's just always with Chris his longevity has also been incredible right like the only reason we don't talk about it more is because he hasn't really done anything in the playoffs but uh, as far as being able to play this way he's been amazing especially in crunch time this is just what the Thunder have done all season long they've been the NBA's best crunch time team this season they executed again there was a moment like midway to the fourth quarter where I I like I thought they were going to lose it because it's so often that their their offense just grinds to a halt and they just have such a hard time manufacturing points but Chris Paul just said you know what just get me this switch onto Robert Covington over and over and over again and he just played him like a fiddle and that was it and he just got exactly the shot he wanted over and over again and, and so you credit Chris Paul for leading the Thunder's offense through that because if he didn't do it, nobody else was going to do it. Even a guy like Shea Gilders Alexander, who is their next stud player, right? You could, he would get the ball and he would just start looking for Chris Paul right away. Like, you need that leadership in these big playoff moments. Now, defensively, I want to credit the Thunder just as much there because, uh, and I want to credit specifically Shea Gilders Alexander because he was hounding James Harden those final two or three minutes. He was not, like, he was denying Harden the ball. Harden couldn't do anything. And I actually want to give Harden some credit because he had that great uh, stand-up block against Steven Adams. He, he, I mentioned the air ball at Westbrook shot. Harden saved it with this great acrobatic, you know, leap out of bounds to, to keep it uh, in play there. 
And so you like to see that from Harden, right? Where, okay, you're not getting the ball, but you're doing these other things, like these in-between things in the game that he's not really known for doing, especially defensively. But he just couldn't get the ball in his hands. They were denying him, and that forced the ball into Russell Westbrook's hands. And I don't know about you, but I found that incredibly ironic because the Thunder could only... They had such a hot... uh, 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 a hard ceiling with Westbrook as their best player over the years because he was so inefficient in these moments and they, they know him better than any anybody else knows him. They forced the ball into his hands knowing he was going to be as inefficient as he was. Do you, do you still see the Rockets as legitimate title contenders? I mean, I know they're kind of a... Uh, they've had buzz all season long, but I, I, I still remain pretty skeptical of their ability to get past any other opponent. Like, obviously, the two of Los Angeles teams are clearly better than the... And then, the Thunder, I mean, then the Rockets. I, I just, and I mean, I could make the same argument about the Thunder too. Like, if they're able to advance past Houston, uh, obviously the Rockets get blown up and we'll see some major changes, not the least of which is uh, a head coaching change. But even moving forward, like, what are the Rockets' chances of actually, if they get past Oklahoma City, of, of knocking off any of the LA teams? Well, I think that, like, look, the Lakers are waiting for the winner of this series in the next round, right? And I actually think. The Rockets are a pretty tough matchup for the Lakers because the Lakers are such a poor three-point shooting team and the Rockets are such a good one. And and the, the Lakers are just missing, you know, some of their key guys on the perimeter. That I don't trust them to be able to cover the Thunder mm-hmm. or, or the Rockets the way the Thunder have. I mean, you know, Lou Dort has been incredible this whole series. And by the way, he had three fouls in the first six minutes and they didn't even really need him because Dennis Schroeder pick, picked, uh, picked up the Harden assignment. Actually, he's been an incredible job, I thought. Um, but the, the Lakers don't have anybody like that to guard Harden. So, um, you know, as, as, much as, as much trouble as Anthony Davis could give them in the next round, those are two points for two points for two points. So unless the Lakers are going to get to the line a whole bunch, which they probably could, um, but, uh, you know, if the Rockets go off like crazy, that would be the way, that would be the formula for them to win. Um, and like I said, I just don't know if the Lakers have the guys to just, you know, stifle them the way the Thunder did. But uh, they certainly had more pressure on them in this Game 7, no? Because the Rockets were supposed to be here. They were supposed to get out of Round 1. The Thunder, this is a rebuilding year for them. And they might they might upset the Rockets, who have, who did have, like you said, title aspirations. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I think it's pretty clear that the Thunder uh, can play as carefree as they want to. Although I've seen a lot of criticism about Billy Donovan. And uh, the thought process is that maybe he's coaching for his job. I'm not sure if that's right or not. But uh, it, it does seem like maybe he's made some errors throughout the course of the series that might be costing him uh, next year in in Oklahoma City. But as far as the, th- the Rockets are concerned, yes, I mean, they're going to this experiment of, of going small ball has worked to some degree. Uh, they've had some success, but it, it has to be a little bit more sustainable. It has to actually translate into a deep playoff run. And if their season is cut short against a rebuilding Thunder team, that does not look good. So, you know, how does Westbrook respond at this point in his career? Can he evolve? Can he be another type of player that can help carry a team? I mean, I think those questions have dogged him for a long time now, and they will continue to do so uh, in Game 7. Harden, his ability to bounce back, you know, he struggled somewhat in the the second half uh, against the Thunder. So, um, you know, obviously there have been questions for a number of years now about his ability to to step up to the playoffs and and have a, a transformative type game. Uh, he's been mostly good, but at the same time, he needs to be a little bit better, a little bit more efficient. And so I, I think you'll, you'll see a lot more pressure. So I wonder how they'll respond right away. My, my thought is that they'll 
be able to come out in the first half and at least establish themselves a little bit more closely, uh, their identity, and, and keep to it. And then we'll see whether or not the Thunder are capable of responding. And you know, for well, we have seen we have seen Houston in these circumstances crumble under the pressure over and over and over yeah. again. Right, even when the the it looks like they ought to win, even when you have a three two lead in a series against the Warriors, and and then all of a sudden you can't make a three pointer or save your life. I just I don't. To me, it feels like this is the the, the, the the tail end of this grand experiment that the trading of Clint Capella and going as small as they yeah. did, as entertaining, as an interesting as it has been, it was it was sort of the plan Z, yeah. right? Like it was the last straw. It was, the, it was the last resort here. And if it doesn't work, then you're going to have to rebuild. And it seems like Mike D'Antoni is as good as gone. He's coaching like it. He's, um, he's talking to reporters like it. And uh, and I think for Harden, it just feels like you can't get a backcourt partner who is up to snuff at any point. Like Westbrook, you you make the Chris Paul for Westbrook swap because you want what Westbrook can give you. This agent of chaos that that can kind of just give you something against the grain of the formula that they keep running. And it kind of feels like they would have been better off just keeping Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And and I don't. I don't know where you go from here. How do you rebuild around James Harden if you're not doing it in a Mike D'Antoni system? I don't know. And there may be, you know, them and the Philadelphia 76ers, maybe the two most interesting teams heading to the offseason if Houston does indeed lose in this Game 7. But uh, before the Thunder and Rockets play their Game 7, we get an exciting Game 7 tonight between the Jazz and the Nuggets. We'll talk about that next. In the most entertaining series of the first round, the Jazz and Nuggets meet tonight for a must-watch Game 7. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell have been on fire, scoring at historic levels, but which team do you think has the edge tonight, David? I think it's Denver. Uh, I think they've got all the momentum carrying over from their Game 6 win. Uh, Utah with a series lead, and, and then to have lost the way they have. For Donovan Mitchell to continue to have carried this team and not get the kind of support that he expected or wants in order to translate into a victory. Uh, I, I think he's feeling some pressure himself. Uh, you know, obviously I, I've been wrong about this Utah series since the very beginning. I didn't think they had another win in them after that explosive game one uh, where, where Mitchell played as well as he did. Um, and, and still, uh, they, they've surprised me. Uh, he's been fantastic, but I just, I'm just i not sure what's left. I'm not sure wh- if he's capable of doing even more than he's already done. He's already had such a huge individual-type series that, I mean, for him to have to maintain this for a Game 7, somebody else is going to have to step up. And, and I feel like Jamal Murray has been so great. He's been so great in, in elimination games. Uh, he, I think that Denver is probably the better team, at least a little bit more complete, although they've struggled at times during the playoffs. But I, I would say that Denver has the edge, just the momentum carrying forward, and a lot less to prove, I think. I, I don't know. Well, I, maybe I'm wrong about that. But well, look, I, no, I think, you're, I, I think you're right, though. I, I, I think Denver is just the better team. And, they have, and, and when you say somebody else has to step up on Utah, that other player would obviously be Rudy Gobert. And over the last couple games, he just hasn't. And, you know, after game one, I remember being on here with you and Ben Golliver and saying, look, I don't think Denver has an answer for right. the Donovan Mitchell, pick Rudy Gobert pick and roll. And they didn't until they did. And right before they did, I got back on this show with you and took a little bit of a victory lap last week saying, hey, I told you I was right. They didn't have an answer for the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert pick and roll. And then right after that, they had an answer for the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert pick and roll. So I will eat crow on that because you they got your comeuppance. 
I, I absolutely did. They have they start moving Nikola Jokic higher up in the screen. They you know he's not quite trapping or blitzing, but he's just moving a little bit higher up and a little bit more pressure on Mitchell, using his size to bother him. And uh, as as opposed to before, he was just sort of in no man's land, and Mitchell would either pull up for a jumper or just lob it right over him to Gobert, who's got like a ten foot standing reach or something. So. But they've basically eliminated that play. They've forced Donovan Mitchell into taking those jumpers. And look, Donovan Mitchell is shooting nearly 60% in this series, so he's been making these jumpers. He's been absolutely scorching. Uh, but it's fair to wonder if he could do it again in Game 7. But even then, they've, they've sort of figured out the Gobert thing. And we've seen this, David, over and over and over again in the playoffs. that they, Teams figure out Rudy Gobert, right? Defensively... Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic are tearing them apart. They're forcing them to come out onto the perimeter. He can't do that. And now you've got Nikola Jokic popping out for threes, or you've got Jamal Murray stretching out with his deep 30-footers and doing all, and looking like Damian Lillard out there. So I don't know what you can do if you're Utah because you can't ask Rudy Gobert to do that the way that the, the Nuggets asked Nikola Jokic to get out more on the perimeter, right? Yeah. So if you're talking about somebody, this, if, if it's just going to be Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell going 50 against 50, then who's your second best player? And that's crazy to me to think that Jamal Murray has now sort of elevated himself as at least the best player in this series for Denver because Nikola Jokic was an MVP candidate this season. So they have by far the, be- the, sec- the best, you know, second best player in this series. And that's why I agree with you. I think the Nuggets have the advantage tonight. Yeah. So, I mean, it should be fun anyway. I, I know it's been very interesting to see these kind of players and, and to see Mitchell and Murray both step up and have these incredible offensive games. I think it's uh, at least part of what makes the playoffs so interesting and so fun. And uh, it's been uh, it's been great to see these young players become transformative type players and have huge outings in the playoffs because, uh, well, it's, that's just it. It's the, pl- the postseason and it's the playoffs. You never know what kind of performance you're going to get from key players. And it, it defines... Your, your legacy, it defines your reputation to such a great degree, whether wrongly or, or rightly. Uh, that's a huge argument. I'm not sure that we can come up with an answer now, but uh, Murray has been great, and so has Mitchell. I just hope we get another uh, pair of hot performances from the two uh, tonight. Before we wrap up, David, I've been staying in Miami for a few weeks, and, with, and because of that, I've been extra conscious of what I've been eating since I find myself by the pool a little bit more often here than I did when, I, when I'm living in San Francisco, but it's not easy. And so the other day I started thinking about my guilty pleasure foods. Before I get to that, uh, I want to know what's your guilty pleasure food? Oh, man, they're all guilty pleasure foods, Wes. I, don't, I mean, there's so many there. <laughs> as, a, as a vegetarian, uh, sometimes I don't get a lot of options here, especially now during the pandemic. Uh, my, my options have been limited. I feel like I've been on a rotation of the same three or four meals every week, and uh, it's not quite as fun as it once was. Uh, no outings for me, unfortunately. I, I've been one of those few people left in the country, maybe, that hasn't been going to restaurants as much as I used to. Uh, it seems like everybody else is going out except me. So, uh, man, you know, I got to say, I am a, a, a huge, huge sucker for, like, a really, really good pizza. I love deep dish pizza. Uh, I was uh, Last I was able to really take advantage of that was in Chicago for the all-star break it was delicious uh, i really enjoyed Where did that you go? uh not not pequods which i know you recommended several several chicago oh, okay. people had recommended pequods uh uh oh god lou Alma, lou i can't remember the name now 
Okay. Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's. Okay. That was the place. That was the place. Uh, very, very, very good. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, and they were. They also had like they were giving away like little personal size uh, deep dish pizzas at the All Star Game. That was great. Uh, oh, and they even had. They. I'm sorry. At the at the Legends brunch. They even had deep dish breakfast pizzas that they had there. That was it was a brunch there that you know, all you can eat, obviously. And I took I took hell advantage of that. Let me tell you, they had deep dish breakfast pizzas on uh, you know for everybody there. So what is this was, like? You you basically have egg cheese and like yes. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a very, very good, very, very good, and a good thick crust. Nothing like starting off the morning with like a, a deep dish pizza. So that's <laughs> the kind of thing. Ba- immediately. Right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, pizza, Mexican. I mean, I, I, you know, throughout my life, one, I've, I've really been. I'm trash when it comes to my food takes. Uh, I, I have really always loved Taco Bell. I mean, I know. Uh, you and I have talked to Rowan Ned Carney of Sports Illustrated a lot, and we we debated Taco Bell on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. I have loved it, so that has always been a, a guilty pleasure of mine. I, I'm sure that's not what our listeners wanted to hear. I don't have anything really fancy to say. Oh, you know, like lobster or something like that. What, what about yours, man? Oh, that's I not a guilty pleasure. No. Mine, mine is really simple, David. I just want I want a poppy seed bagel with cream cheese. From that's it. Bob's- from Rob's Bagel Land in Coral Springs, Florida. If I can, if that is my guilty, pl- it's you start the, you start your day off with just a bunch of carbs and cream cheese, and and, and just that with a cup of coffee. I couldn't be happier. Wow. I could not be happier. Yeah, that or just a cheeseburger by the pool, and I'm good. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I could see it. Yeah. Those are, those are pretty good. I mean, bagels. You know, I, I love bagels. I'm poppy I'm being, bagel. little, I'm, I'm being a little stereotypical with the bagel schmear answer. I. I I understand that, but it is my answer. Uh, no, I, look, I, I, I applaud it. Uh, you you, know, you got to be true to your identity, uh, much like the, the Houston Rockets. Remember to listen to it. Subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe.